you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. You better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Ethiopia. Last time we were doing a podcast, we got cut off right in the middle as we were talking about the beauty of Lalabella, these amazing churches that are cut out into the rock. Uh, Because I do our podcast on the go, on the road, I'm doing the recordings using my phone. Well... (laughs) <laughs> we decided while we were in Lalabella to change all of our tickets to come to another city. And I was right in the middle of doing everything with my travel agent in China. And she called me when we were doing our recording on Lalabella and it cut off our recording. So we stopped right as we were talking about the beauty of the churches there in Lalabella. Today, we are in another place. Lalabella was awesome, but today was amazing for me because we are kind of in a place that is the beginning of African history. We are following revival. Uh, this In this special podcast, I'm going to be talking to you, giving you a behind-the-scenes look of the video series that we have been doing called Chasing Revival. So behind the scenes, we decided at the last minute, let's go to the ancient kingdom city of Axum. Now, if you've never heard of Axum before, it is the ancient Ethiopian city that um, many people believe is the oldest continuous civilization in all of Africa. The people here speak a language called Ge'ez, which I did not know that the Ethiopian language of Ge'ez is Semitic. It is related to the language of Hebrew. It is related to Aramaic, the language of Jesus. It is related to Arabic. And actually, the ancient kingdom of Aksum also owned the southern tip of the Arabic peninsula in Yemen. So the people of Yemen were ruled under the Aksumite Empire. So why are we here? Why are we here at this Aksumite Empire? Because it's the oldest? No, this ancient tribe of Kush, the ancient lands of Kush, we actually see one of the longest Christian kingdoms in the history of the world, a thousand-year reign of the African Christian kingdom. And for me, I find that fascinating because most of Africa had been taken over by Islam. So for a thousand years here in Africa, we had a kingdom called the Aksum kingdom that ruled as a Christian kingdom for a thousand years. Anna, we've been traveling together all day today, walking around, seeing this ancient city, It is more urban than where we just came from. What are some of your thoughts? What are the takeaway points that you learned today? I think the most impressive thing was just as we left, uh, we we had seen this this 
beautiful church, uh, Mary of Zion Church. The, the old church, actually, I was not allowed to enter because it, um, it was ma- man only. But a newer cathedral was built next to it, which was uh, for men and women. And there were lots of women there. And one thing that, that I found touching was as we left, uh, there was some chanting going on outside. And there was one woman that was standing in the corner, uh, sort of pushing herself against the door of the, of the cathedral, which was one of the side doors which was not open and and she was obviously in, in prayer and she reminded me very much of Hannah uh, in the Bible who came to the temple and who who was crying and was asked by the priest you know she they thought she was drunk and she uh, she was almost kicked out but she said that she was pouring out her heart to God and I felt this was a place um, that woman could go to and and pray and a physical place that they would feel close to God and they could pour out their hearts. Obviously, around the cathedral, we saw a lot of poverty in this city and I I can only imagine a lot of these women having a hard time feeding their children and educating their children. Uh, For them to have a sanctuary where they are welcome, where they can pour out their hearts to God, where there's people, priests to bless them, uh, where there's other pilgrims there that they can have fellowship with, I, I can imagine must be a very precious thing. The, the church that you're talking about, this St. Mary of Zion Church, <clears throat> is a place where the Ethiopian Orthodox Church believes with every fiber of their being that this is where the Ark of the Covenant is. They treat it with the utmost respect, fear, and protection. For me, it, it's one of the main reasons I came, because this church is 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 known as the place where uh, the queen of sheba came from she goes to meet with king solomon in jerusalem comes back gives birth to a child and the child then becomes the son of solomon and uh, they go back to jerusalem and they march back with 12,000 jewish people carrying the ark of the covenant according to the ethiopian traditions 12,000, that's a 1,000 Jews per tribe prior to the fall of Israel, prior to the fall of Judah. Now, Mr. De Jong, as we're going there, we're looking at these different um, uh, churches, walking into them. What do you feel is the likelihood that they really have the Ark of the Covenant there? Well, uh, the story is... It's a quite strong story, and here in Ethiopia, everybody believes it. I don't know. I don't know. Even, well, we heard a story like uh, the Queen of Seba had uh, a son of uh, Salomo, and then Salomo asked his son, and then instead of his son, he got the... Of not instead, he gave. She gave the son, and Salomo gave the ark to the uh, queen of Saba. Well, I, I do, it's not easy to believe. Not easy to believe. But if it's if the ark not there, what what happened? There are many, many, many questions, and that makes it very interesting. And uh, to listen to the stories what the people tell here. I, I like it, and it's it's a kind of you want to know more about it. 
Uh, you've been traveling with us like this entire time. You've been the main cameraman filming. You've been kind of quiet behind the scenes like you always are, doing all the filming, trying to capture the essence, trying to capture some of the 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 more visionary type of things so that people can can try to experience a little bit what you're experiencing behind the camera. But what are some of the thoughts that you have uh, in your mind? Like, do you believe that the Ark of the Covenant is truly there? Because it sounds far-fetched. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's there or not. I, I don't honestly feel like it's... I mean, I, I know for the people here, it's, you know, it's sacred. It's a sacred... Um, it's a it's a like kind of like a gift they feel like that they were given ties them to the the Jewish people and they they also I mean they use so many words they say this is the holy land you know this is like the holy land after Israel and you know this is the holy place for Christians this is the origin of so many things um, after Christ you know after Christ came um, and so I can I can see that. You know, I can see that's part of their identity. Um, whether it is or whether it isn't here, I'm not too worried about. And I don't think, you know, what we have, the reality we have in Christ, is the most amazing thing. We have the Holy Spirit, you know, and that, that God gives us his presence. And beyond that, there are amazing things that he's revealed. You know, there's mysteries, there's knowledge, there's understanding. Um, you know, there's faith that moves mountains. There's all these amazing things. That's, you know, that's good. And he gives special things to special people. And and I think, yeah, he's given them a special gift and a special anointing. We can just see, you know, the heritage that has been here for years and years and years and that they've maintained. But all that to say, I don't know. I'm not too worried about it. But I'm, oh, glad, here, that, I'm glad that God loves his people, you know, and he's revealed himself here. here here's the thing that I have as I look at... Um, the outcome, as I look at the evidence of where they're at, for several thousand years, they have had someone looking after the ark. They have had someone, right now, even today, they had someone, when they walk in, when that person walks in, they never leave out. They they take care of the ark from, and I, I so I ask some very, you know, basic questions. How long has the person been in there? How long do they usually live in there? He said, for about 100 years. I said, well, what happens when they get sick? And they said, they drink holy water. <laughs> I said, you know, because I'm thinking of toothaches. I'm thinking of diarrhea. I'm thinking of just basic ailments that you come across every day. They said that that person that goes in there, How do you get exercise? There's, there's no bed. So they don't get to sleep in a bed. They have to sleep on the floor. They pray 22 hours a day. Um, which there's not a lot of people checking in to make sure he's praying 22 hours a day. I mean, he's basically in there by himself a large portion of the time. He does have somebody that comes in and brings him food um, that helps him, that are that become aids to them. But that person stays in that church with what they believe to be the Ark of the Covenant up until they die. So they never leave. The other thing is, is that they have so much Judaic culture intertwined into who they are as Ethiopians. And if you're not familiar with this concept of Ethiopians being Jews as well, all you have to do is look at a video of how many people come from the diaspora of the lost tribes into Israel. One of the people that are able to get Israeli citizenship are the Ethiopians. Ethiopians are able to get Jewish citizenship for Israel. They don't consider themselves one of the lost tribes, but they do 
do consider themselves one of the the descendants of Israel from uh, the King Solomon. Um, in addition to that, in addition to that, we heard some other things today that took me by surprise, things that I've never heard, things that I have not found in my own individual research of revival in Africa. And that is, the. and I find this a bit funny, um, just because many countries that I go to in the Middle East and around, even you know as far east as China and even in Africa, they usually, someone claims that one of their people was one of the three wise men. Now, of course, the Persians say all three of the wise men were Persian. The Chinese say one of them, at least one, maybe all three of them, was from China. And, of course, now the Ethiopians saying that one of the people from the east was Ethiopia. Ethiopia. And so they're the ones that brought the frankincense. Um, as I read the story, in the Bible, it, I don't think it actually says three wise men. I don't think a numerical value, it just says wise men. The wise men from the east came without a numerical value of three. I, I've always thought of three, but actually for a convoy to travel that far, you're going to have quite a number of people with you on, to be able to make it for months of a travel. But it does not say three. Yeah. Wise men from the east. Yes. Yes. Three gifts. Because of the presence. Mm. Maybe that's where we get it. Yes. But I remember the first time I heard somebody say there weren't three wise men. That it doesn't say three wise men. I said, no, it does. It does, it does, it does. I mean, that's, I, I saw the cartoon and everything <laughs> when I was a kid. There were three in the cartoon that I watched. Of course it's three. But it wasn't. And so there are many conceptions that we have. Anyway, the Ethiopian church believes that one of their kings went to Israel and gave the gifts to Jesus as a little boy, not as a baby. He was already he had already been um, born and he was a little older by the time the, the the wise men arrived. But they believe that one of them not only came and gave gifts, but was baptized by John the Baptist and came back as the first Christian king. Because when he said, let me tell you the story of the first Christian king, I thought he was going to tell us about the king that was saved in the third century. But it wasn't. It was the king that was baptized by John the Baptist. That blew me away. Did Did you have any thoughts when you shared that? Oh, well, I, I did think um, was he a Christian then? Yet, huh? because John the Baptist <clears throat> yes. went before Christ. That's true. Huh? So, yeah. and John the Baptist but, had disciples, yeah, and the yeah, disciples yeah. weren't necessarily Christians. They were yeah. followers of John the Baptist. But, but still, it's an amazing story, and. And it's it's very nice to hear and think more about it and find out. But I was amazed yeah, when I heard it. Yeah. But what the other thing that concern that that surprises me and it excites me is that this is the only nation in all of Africa that was never really colonized. Mm -hmm. It was conquered but never colonized. Um, the, the Italians were never able to fully colonize it. They were pushed out too early, so the, their time here was very short. The other thing is that this is the only Christian nation in Africa that withstood the attacks of Islam and never fully uh, were occupied by the Muslims. They were attacked, 
the churches were made into the rocks to kind of hide them from the attacks. But they were never... So they were isolated from the rest of Christendom and had to exist by themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, I found that phenomenal. One of the things that I have found surprising on this trip, and I don't think that I've really experienced it before, is that there were certain temples that we went to that women were not able to go into. And uh, there there was a place today that you were not able to go into. Was there, there was also a place yesterday that you were not able to go into. And tomorrow we're going to be going on another trip that you will not be able to fully join us on. I know that's got to be a challenge for you. What What are your thoughts? We'll try to keep it down to about half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> not all women talk all the time. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first of all, we, uh, I, I do not feel in the same way as, as, as I would when you're among Muslims. I do not feel this is a place where, um, where women are uh, marginalized or considered as lesser beings. Um, when I've looked around me to the way men and women behave, uh, I, I can see there is definite sense of freedom and also mutuality here. And when we came to the church, um, there was, was one chapel I wasn't allowed into, and it was explained in a very nice way. They said, uh, this is a chapel uh, which symbolizes uh, the empty grave, and Mary Magdalene, who was a woman, uh, she wasn't allowed in, but she had to go and tell the disciples that Jesus was risen. So therefore, women are not allowed into this chapel. Well, that's a very nice way of putting it. Um, as for the temple or the monastery that we're visiting tomorrow, the reason is pretty much they don't want to tempt the monks, which I can sort of understand if you live on a hill for your whole life, that seeing women can be a bit much. Um, I don't know why we were not allowed in... in the, ah, I, was, I remember now. Yeah. If I can just point this out. I was on... I, when I was in the military, I did much of my service aboard of a, a ship traveling around in the Middle East and Africa. Um, I spent more than a year and a half of my life on a ship. And on our ship, where, where we were at, women were not allowed on that ship because uh, we didn't work with any women. And if you brought a woman onto that ship... Um, I mean, many of our, the ways that we would operate would probably change. But I can tell you that nothing was more missed than a woman. The smell of men every morning waking up. The sounds that men make every day on a day-to-day basis. Nothing made me happier than to be back with women again. And I can remember being isolated from women for long periods of time. One night... I was in the back of a truck. We'd been working all during the day. Our operations were over. We had a five-ton truck, military truck, come and pick us up. We just jumped into the back, and we were just sleeping. We traveled all night long, bumping along this bumpy road. We had a canopy over the top. We all smelled. None of us had taken a shower in maybe two or three weeks. We, I mean, we had fungus growing on our bodies. I got used to that smell. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Anna says she's eating. She does not want to hear this. But as we pulled onto the parade deck, maybe one or two o'clock in the morning, I woke up. My eyes were were wide awake because I could smell women. I could smell them. And it was the most beautiful smell I'd ever smelled in my entire life. So I can imagine being on a hill with a bunch of men for years 
This was only a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah, for a lifetime. And then all of a sudden, having the most beautiful thing that ever, you know, God created women last. He saved the best for last. And he took like all of his artistic, I, there's nothing really beautiful about the body of a male. It's, it's like practical, it's made for the field. But for the, the, the beauty of a woman to be years in the mountainside, I can only imagine bringing a woman into that environment. I, I have to say, that is the most merciful act I've ever heard, not allowing women to go into those mountains. That is mercy for the men. <laughs> well, so that was another positive spin. <laughs> now the one today, apparently uh, the Church Mary of Zion, women are not allowed because the Virgin Mary is the only one allowed in there. So, Even though it's, mar it's named after a woman. Yes. Uh, and that's, but very sympathetically, they built this cathedral next to it so that we have some place to go. Um, when I was standing there and I was looking at this sign which said, no woman allowed, I was just making a face for the fun of it. And I heard a woman say behind me, I feel like that too. And, and she was an Ethiopian woman, but from, uh, she wasn't born in Ethiopia, but raised in Texas. And she, uh, she had come for the first time back to the country of her birth to see, uh, as a pilgrimage, actually, to see the holy places. Uh, and, and she said, yeah, she was a bit disappointed she couldn't go in there. And I said, where are you going next? And she says, oh, to the monastery. I said, oh, you won't be allowed to go in there either. And she said, oh, really? But she says, I'll still be blessed because even if you get close by, you'll still be blessed. And I think that's the general feeling. And one of the ser servers here in the restaurant also mentioned it, you know, even, even though you don't, You can still touch the ropes that the monks used to climb up there and you can kiss them and you'll still be blessed. So I'll just have to go with that. Do you think that there's, like, if you were to speak honestly, not according to the Ethiopian beliefs, but according to yours, do you feel that there's a weakness that the church misses out when they exclude women from certain activities? Or do you think that this is one of the strengths of the Ethiopian church? What, what's your feeling? I wouldn't call it a strength, um, but I think what works in a culture is also important. And I think if you are in a culture where women are all highly educated and taking part in society, uh, when you exclude them from the church, it from church, certain church activities, it can become very difficult. Whereas when you're in a culture where women have... Uh, their own separate lives from men in many ways and and are expected to do very different things, it is maybe less painful to be excluded than it would be uh, in the West. I think for Western women this is harder than it would be for an Ethiopian woman. But that's my guess. I'm not sure. I would have to ask a few Ethiopian women what they think about that. Do you see a weakness? What are they missing by not having women? Maybe you could repeat the question. I think, I think any church is healthier if, if all its members can share, share, and share in a way that they can, they can use the gift that God has given them. And I think there may be Ethiopian women that have a gift also to, uh, 
to disciple others, pastoral care, if that cannot be used, I, I think that's always a loss. Mr. DeJong, this is you know something that you've been experiencing as well. This is actually the thoughts of your daughters. Um, do you have any thoughts when it comes to the exclusion of women in the the monasteries where we went or the churches where we went, the monastery where we'll go tomorrow? What what are what are kind of your impressions of um, the way that they do it here in Ethiopia among the churches? Yeah, well, the monasteries I can understand. The other churches, I think, yeah. Well, it's kind of tradition, history, but not really something from the Bible. Like, but we all have cultures, and it's a culture here. So, I, I am. Well, I didn't talk to talk to women here. There will be, well. Thoughts and things are going over the world, of course. I think the relation men-women in Africa will change, or is changing, of course, as well. So, I, well, I, what we have to do is follow it, try to understand it, uh, be respectful, and um, read the Bible. Because we have to do that. That's the last word. Mm. And but, but we we have to be honest that we read the Bible many times as culture in our head. So that's what. Uh, so that's what we have to try to just listen what the Bible says. And with that, I would like to ask one more question: Which Bible do we read? The sixty-six books of the Protestant Bible or the eighty-one books of the Ethiopian Bible? Yeah, that's an interesting. That's an interesting. The question. oldest Bible in the world that we know of, or the, at least the picture Bible, the oldest picture Bible in the world that we have, is the Ethiopian Bible. So, for those that are listening, and doesn't know that, that's the oldest Bible in the world. Today, we had. I feel such the privilege of looking at and touching a Bible that's at least five hundred years old, like twice the age of my country, <laughs> um, and it was made. Uh, by hand, all the words were written by hand. The painting was all done by hand on sheepskin. Five hundred sheep had been slaughtered in order to make that Bible. So it was made on traditional animal parchment. Uh, which Bible do we read? Yes, uh, <laughs> I, I, I just the last year. Well, of course we know about canonic and apocryph. Yeah, and then we talk about. Protestant and Catholic, Roman Catholic. Yeah. I didn't know things from Orthodox. I have to be honest. Well, yeah. um, three years ago or five years ago, I like, and especially uh, the Book of Hanok, that's uh, that's here in Ethiopia, the only land who has that book. The other, um, as far as I know, the other Orthodox uh, churches don't have the book yeah. Hanok. Yeah. Um, but well, there are 88 books. Uh, yeah, it's it's not only church history, but the canon. Uh, you, I think it's God leaded the church by the Holy Spirit. You have to believe it. Otherwise, yeah, it brings us to the canon. Yeah, and I think that's the Bible. Yeah, that 
does not mean that in the other books, and there are many more books around, uh, that there is there are very good things to read. But this side of the Lord, you cannot always say, I think. If you are listening to this podcast and you are like me, you have to be feeling very strange right now. A lot of the things that you've always believed have to be challenged right now. The Ark of the Covenant being in Egypt, the oldest Bible in the world being written in Egyptian language, the Gies language language of the Ethiopian people being Semitic, not from the tribe of Ham, the oldest, one of the oldest Christian kingdoms in the world being African. There are so many things that I'm learning on this trip that are breaking my stereotype. I've got a master's degree in theology. I didn't learn this stuff in in seminary. Um, Anna, I think you also have a master's degree. Is it in theology? Yeah. What did you learn about the African church when you studied theology? Well, probably the same things as you, St. Augustine, all that business, but not so much. We did learn a lot about contextual theology and also theologies that are coming up recently in Africa, but not much about orthodoxy, no. No, I I learned um, maybe some St. Augustine a little bit, but I didn't really learn, you know, about him being in Africa. It was St. Augustine of Hippo. Where's Hippo? For all I knew, it was part of the Roman Empire. I thought, you know, he was... I didn't really look where Carthage was. I just assumed that that was a, you know, Roman Empire meant it was in Italy. That's all I knew. I didn't really kind of dig it out and look. Americans are not as good at geography as Europeans are. I I think the only people that are as bad at geography as Americans are the Chinese. (laughs) I think they're the only ones. Because both of us believe we're the center of the world. And when we start talking about the oldest Bibles, the, the, you, 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 you don't learn about anything about Ethiopia. I learned nothing about Ethiopia. When I learned about the martyrdom of the first disciples, I didn't learn about Africa. Um, I, I learned about Martin Luther. I learned about John Calvin. I learned about um, John Wesley. I learned about, you know, some of the movements that took place in more recent history. About as far back as we went, we would go back, you know, a little bit to the first century church as far as the Bible went. But after the Bible, you do this complete jump up until like 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. And you spend a lot of time 1800s, 1700s, 1600s. That was my theology. I learned a little bit of Greek. I learned a little bit of Hebrew. I I took a little bit of a testing to make sure. And then all that knowledge went out the window. This, for me, is turning my world upside down in many ways. And I love it. I really, really love it. Because I realize there's an entire section of what I believe that has been missing. And I didn't know it was missing. And now... I feel it makes my understanding of, of how diverse Jesus is more complete. I, I looked at the paintings tonight in the church where you and I went to. On one side of the wall were these um, sixth century paintings where Jesus and Mary were white, as white as whiter than me. They, they look Germanic. Then we look on the other side of the wall, older paintings where Jesus had an afro. <laughs> and was as black as black could be. They called this the, 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 the chocolate Jesus and the chocolate Mary. Their words, not mine. And when I look at both of those, 
For me, it didn't matter. His blood gave me salvation regardless of what the color of his skin was. And so please continue to follow along with us as we do these special Back to Jerusalem podcasts. I pray that this is making you Google and research and read more than you ever thought possible. Um, tomorrow, when we do our next podcast in another city, I'm going to try to give you some recommendations for reading that I think will be a big blessing if you want to learn more about the ancient or the first century church in Africa. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. There is one more thing that I think we want to stop on. Yeah, no. Can you uh, can I do my question again about yeah. Ike? You asked me about Ike and I didn't answer, so can we do that again? We're going to take a break and go back. There is a question. I don't know if you've ever seen. There's this. There's this show. There's this a show called Seinfeld. Good Christians don't watch it. Bad Christians like me will watch it from time to time. In the in the the show of uh, uh, Seinfeld, it's this com- this comedy show. There is a a guy that somebody says something to him, and he is not able to answer it right at the moment. And he goes home and he thinks about it, and then he comes back to the person that asked the question, and he yells out the answer. And the people that ask the question have no clue what he's even talking about because. They've already forgotten about that conversation, which he dwelled on it for so long. Mr. DeJong, you must have been dwelling on this question for a while. Because before we ended this podcast, you said, oh, I have another thought on when you asked me about the Ark of the Covenant. Do I believe that it is here in Ethiopia? Please have a Seinfeld moment and answer it for us. I try. Um, well, I, I knew about the story years ago. Uh, I, I thought it a funny story, funny story. Like, didn't think about it further. And now we come close. You have to think about it. And so even, I, I don't know if the Ark is there. Like, uh, when you read the Bible, you read passages after Solomon talking about the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. So, um, I don't know, but where, come to, where, where does the story come from? That's an interesting question. And I think that has to do, like, the, um, a guy today said, he just didn't say um, uh, Ethiopia is the promised land, <laughs> but he said it is a promised land. Yeah? And then later on he said, well, it's the second. Huh? Like, and we, yesterday we were in Lalibela, the New Jerusalem. And so it's, it's all Israel. And then you need the ark. Kind of. So this, I don't know where the story started once, but something like that has to be happening. And well, I don't know. But there's one question. I, I was I st- still a little bit afraid to ask to the guide, but I will ask him tomorrow. We are talking about the ark, the ark, the ark, but the ark meant the presence of God, the really presence of God died among his people in Jerusalem. Do they believe that the, that really presence of God is there where we were today? I, I don't know. What do you think? I think that this was something that you started to bring up a little bit at the church. I actually changed the topic so we wouldn't offend anybody. But I felt that that was one of the things that I've been thinking all along. Uh, 
is that there's so much emphasis because today they told us that the ark is not just in the the church of mary of zion but a mock ark or a a substitute ark is in every single church and the only thing that makes it a church is the ark and if there's no ark or talbot he calls it a talbot if there's no talbot then it's not a church and i and in my mind i thought that is not the message of Christ. The message of Christ is that the church, actually the word had never been used. And for those of you that are used to listening to our podcast, you'll know that when we went to the book of Matthew and the first time that Jesus reveals who he is as the Messiah and the first time he uses the word church is up to the northern, the very, very northern tip of Israel in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And in Caesarea Philippi, he's standing in front of the rock of the gods. Jesus is standing in front of the rock of the gods. And he asks the disciples, who do man say that I am? And they say, well, some say that you're uh, Jeremiah. Some say that you're John the Baptist. And he says, yes, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter answers, you are the son of the living God. And... Jesus says to him that nobody gave this to him except for the Father. And he says to him, Peter, I tell you, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This was the first time the word church was used. It's interesting that he didn't say, upon this rock I will build my temple. Upon this rock I will build my synagogue. He specifically used a brand new word. And it meant the body of believers that follow after Christ, that he was changing the the place where his presence rested from being a geographical location to now being one that is with his people. And we're, throughout the, the New Testament, we are told the breakdown of the church. And I felt that what you were bringing up about the the, the curtains being ripped from top to bottom at the uh, on the day that Jesus was crucified was a really good point. And I feel that putting all these investments into buildings can, can, can be a healthy expression. But when that is the main focus of your praise and worship to God. So as, as far as I see it now, is the Orthodox Church is more in line with Israel than we are, but maybe a little bit too much. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, uh, kind of. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> we want to talk about this more. We want to explore this more. We want to talk about the differences, the the richness, the maybe even debate a little bit about some of the failures. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, my name is Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Ethiopia. God bless you. Thank you.